Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for this weekend again. Uh, thank you for the opportunity for us just to be with a group of people who are trying to, to be your students, God, who are trying to follow you. God, we know that you love us and that you love us deeply. God, help us to love you in the same way. Help us to love each other, God. Help us to push each other to be more, to be better, God. Help us to not be people who are apathetic in our relationship with you, God, or complacent, but that we become people who uh, are always pushing forward, that we're always prepared, we're all, always ready to be what you've called us to be, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, we're talking about apathy, and it's so funny because I had a ton of people coming up to me this weekend and being like, what is apathy? And apathy is a really weird word in a lot of ways because it can mean, it's taken on various meanings over time. And even when you look at the word apathy scripturally, there are actually several words that kind of, yeah, turn around. There are several words, I'm just kidding. There are several words that, that tie into it spiritually, scripturally, and uh, it has kind of a broad definition in a sense. Um, how many of you guys have ever heard of the seven deadly sins? You guys know what the seven deadly sins are, right? One of my all-time favorite movies, Seven, if you haven't seen it incredible but very disturbing but anyway it's based on the seven deadly sins right what are the seven deadly sins come on let's hear them who knows them okay you guys have gotten a lot of them right now my guys can't talk now since we talked about this this morning but which one of those those seven deadly sins would you think represent apathy because it's represented there sloth right now, when, when people think of sloth, what's another word that people equate with sloth that would be a modern word we say? Laziness, right? Though none of those words really encompass sloth or encompass apathy. They don't, you can't really describe it with one word. And actually, the original meaning, the original word they used when they talked about the seven deadly sins is a word called acedia. Has anybody ever heard of that word before? Because before I started looking at this, I had never heard of that word. Like, I had no idea what that meant or what it was all about. But whenever you would hear the seven deadly sins back in the old days, the word you would hear wasn't sloth, it was acedia. And so I started looking at, okay, what exactly does that mean? And really, there's only a couple times in, in Scripture that you see that. And the one time that's very specific is this. It, it, it refers to a bow that is like a bow and arrow, a bow that has not been strung and therefore it is not ready to take action. It's not ready to, to be used. And so when you think about apathy today, when you think about those things, you can think about the word sloth, and yes, that would be part of what apathy is. And you can think about the word laziness, and yes, there's a connection to apathy and laziness. They're not the same thing. But really what you're thinking and what you need to understand is if you are an apathetic person, when it comes to your relationship with God, you need to understand that you have the tools and the resources that you need in order to be used by God, but you are an unstrung bow. You are someone, if you are apathetic in your relationship with God, if you're not someone who is engaged and pushing forward and ready to be used by God, you are like a bow that sits there and is completely useless, even though it should be useful, you are completely useless because you are not ready to be, be to ready, man, I, can talk, I cannot talk, you are not ready to be used by God. You're like an unstrung bow. And when you go down through that word, I was reading and I ran across this thing and they were talking about apathy and it says this. It's described in many ways in our society, but there's this guy named Henry Fairley and this is what he said about apathy and about sloth. He says it's often expressed in this world under the polite name of tolerance, kind of just getting by, tolerating life. But he said in hell it's called despair. 
And this is the best part. He says, apathy is the sin that believes in nothing. It cares for nothing. It seeks to know nothing. It interferes with nothing. It enjoys nothing. And it remains alive because there is nothing for which it will die. Let me tell you something. If you don't have something in your life that you are willing to die for, you are not living life and especially not living life the way that God called you to. Like in my life, there are certain things that I can look at. I, you know, I think we all probably wrestle in a sense with that idea of, man, what would happen if I was put in the apostle's position to where I had to make a decision about whether or not I was willing to die. You know that the apostles weren't apathetic in their relationship with God because guess what? When it came down to brass tacks and they had to make a decision about their life or their loyalty to God, guess what they chose? They chose their loyalty because they were not apathetic in their relationship with God. It was something that they were willing to die for. Whenever it comes to my children, whenever it comes to my wife, whenever it comes to my family, when it comes to my friends, there are friends and family that I look at and I'm like, I would die for that person in a heartbeat because I am not apathetic towards them whatsoever. There is a drive within me that pushes me to love that person so deeply that I want to do whatever I can to make sure that person is loved, cared for, protected. All those things that are involved. I want to be ready to spring to action in those relationships in my life. I don't ever want to be apathetic or slothful or lazy or any of those things towards those relationships. And when it comes to my relationship with God and when it comes to your relationship with God, ultimately, all of us have to make a decision of whether or not we are going to approach that relationship in an apathetic manner or if we are going to approach it in a way that says, I'm going to, I'm going to engage. You see, apathetic people have a very difficult time engaging on anything in their lives. Apathetic people are the kind of people who don't really care what happens to them. They don't care what happens to people around them. They don't care about any of those things. And I think our, over the generations, we have gotten more and more apathetic in our lives about everything. There was a time, you guys realize that in World War II, man, that thing is hot. There is a time in World War II whenever... People believe so much in fighting for the cause of freedom and standing up for what they believed was right. You realize that there were kids who would lie to say that they were old enough to go to war so they, they would go because they believed in it so much, they were willing to fight for it. They would lie and say, even though they knew they could die, they would lie and say they were older than what they were because they, that's the kind of aggression, powerful aggression and drive that they had for standing up for what they believed in. You know the difference in that generation? The greatest generation is what they call it, right? World War II. You know what the di difference in them and people now is? Now people will lie so that they don't have to go to war. Now people will lie because they don't have that same kind of drive and that same kind of aggression towards standing up for those same things. But when it comes to our relationship with God, ultimately every single one of us are called to a decision about whether or not we are going to stand for what's right. You know, um, I, I kind of view, I don't want you guys to think of apathy as laziness really because apathy is more like it's the inner cause and, the, and laziness is an outward expression of apathy. Does that make sense? Uh, it's, it's what shows up when you're apathetic. So as we talk through this, don't think about apathy as laziness. Try to put that outside of your mind. That's just a result. Laziness is a result of apathy. Really, I think when it gets down to it, if you want to talk about what apathy looks like, what it looks like in a relationship with God, I think you have to go to the book of Revelation. I think you have to go to Revelation and you have to look at a church that was apathetic in their relationship with God. 
Now that I'm saying that, is there another word that might come to your mind that might equate with apathy? If you start thinking about churches in the, in the book of Revelation. Anybody got the word? Lukewarmness, right? Lukewarmness is very closely, you could very closely tie those things together. If you want to know whether or not you're apathetic in your relationship with God, look and ask yourself if you're hot or you're cold or you're lukewarm when it comes to your relationship with God. Are you kind of coasting along? And there's a picture that's painted in Revelation chapter 3 of a church that John says, listen, you guys have a serious problem. And the problem is they were apathetic. Uh, Revelation 3, we're going to start in verse 14. He's writing to the church in Laodicea. And it says this, write this to the angel of the church in Laodicea. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler God's of, of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm, in our case, apathetic, and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. After all, you say, I'm rich, I've grown wealthy, and I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you're miserable. You're pathetic, poor, blind, and naked. My advice is that you buy gold from me that has been purified by fire so that you may be rich, with white clothing to wear so that your nakedness won't be shamefully exposed, and ointments upon your eyes so that you may see. I correct and discipline those I love, so be earnest and change your hearts and lives. What's that word? What's the word for changing your hearts and lives? Repent is what he's saying, right? So be earnest and repent. Look, I am standing at the door and knock. If any hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and be with them and will have dinner with them and they will have dinner with me. As for those who've uh, emerged victorious, I will allow them to sit with me on my throne just as I emerged victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. He's saying, I'm going to see you in heaven. If you can hear, listen to what the Spirit is trying to say to the churches. And listen to what this, if you guys can hear today, if you can hear this weekend, you need to listen to what the people who are talking to you are saying from God's Word. And I really do believe that, that an apathy has infected our churches all across, all across the world. I think apathy has infected our college ministries, our teen ministries, and it does so much damage, and it makes God disgusted whenever he looks at it, whenever he looks at the way that we, that we respond to things. And I think one of the, the main questions we have to start with and ask ourselves is, how did I become so apathetic when it comes to my relationship with God? How have I become someone who is so lukewarm, who is so undriven, who is so slothful in my relationship with God? How did I end up here? Different people, it might be different things, but the first thing I think is this, I've just become comfortable. For a lot of people, the, re the way that you become apathetic in your relationship with God is you're just really comfortable right where you are. You know, you get this picture of a person like, I, I tend to think about somebody who's kind of like just chilling there on their couch, right? You can get so cozy and so comfortable in your couch that you just stop getting up. I don't know if you guys have ever watched this or not, but I've watched plenty of, of documentaries and shows where basically what you see is someone basically say, man, I got sad, I got depressed, I got comfortable, whatever. I found my spot, and I just sat there, and I just stayed there. And you watch shows like what? My, 
what is it, like my 600-pound life type shows, right? Or how many ever pounds it is. And what you find out is, where did that start? It started with someone being some, so uncomfortable doing other things that they found something that they could be comfortable in. They could become so apathetic that they get to a point that they literally can't get up. They literally can't get off the couch. They are, they are having people come in with dollies to set them on and cart them around to get them where they need to go physically because they became so apathetic that they became so screwed up physically they can't even move on their own. And that picture in your head, I hope that picture disgusts you because that's not the way we, any of us were designed to be. I'm not saying be disgusted by the person. I'm saying be disgusted by the fact that we have allowed ourselves as a people to get so far away from what God designed. There are people who literally can't get up off of their couch because they're so apathetic. And what's more disgusting to God than any of that is the fact that we have apathetic people who become so comfortable in our place, in our relationship with God, that we've sat down and we've grabbed our chips and we've grabbed our sodas and we've grabbed our, all the stuff that comforts us spiritually, whatever that might be for you, and you've gotten so comfortable that you can barely move now. You don't function the way that God designed you to. You are an unstrung bow that is unable and unwilling to be used by God. That is not what he designed us to be. But we get that comfortable. In, he, in Revelation 3, in verse 15 through 17, I know what you've been doing. No, you're cold. You're not hot. I wish you were one of, the, one of the other, but you're lukewarm. You're apathetic. You're not hot or cold, so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And, but you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. He's looking at him. He's like, you know, you knew what you were designed to be. But what took place is you got rich. You got wealthy and you got where you, you got where you were so comfortable and God bless you just enough that you were appeased. God bless you just enough that you were comfortable right there and Satan grabbed that comfort and he took what God designed to be a blessing to you and what God designed to you to be grateful for, to take and be a blessing for others and you replace that blessing with comfort and you just settled right in. I'm comfortable, I'm rich, I'm sitting pretty. For you, you may not look at it, you may not say, oh, I'm rich now. But for some of you, you grew up with such crap home lives that you finally have good relationships with other people and you love it and it was designed to be loved and it was designed to be a blessing, but it was never designed to make you so comfortable that you forgot there are millions of other people out there who don't have that yet and you would settle down in your comfort and your richness in Christ and it would keep you from going out and making sure other people had what they longed for. It's so easy for us to be, become comfortable in the things that we're blessed with. You don't have to be rich to be comfortable. You just have to get enough of a taste and allow Satan enough deception to make you think that's as far as it was supposed to go. And when he deceives you like that, you become apathetic and then you lose your purpose, and then other people lose their chance. We were never designed to become so comfortable in our relationship with God that we could just settle in nice and cozy. 
that we would just be all right with where we were. That's what happened to this church in Laodicea. They were a financial center. They had this massive clothing manufacturing that went on and people looked at them and they were well off and they dressed the part and they looked good and they kind of became those people who became so complacent that they realized, man, I've got whatever I need. I don't need much more. As long as I'm taken care of, I'm good. So many of us have become like that in our relationship with God. And it's a sad thing to see. I, it, it's heartbreaking to watch um, someone become a, a disciple, someone become a Talmud, someone become a, a student who's following Jesus. And at first you're watching them and they just take off, right? Have you ever seen that before? Like they're in their word, they're inviting their family, they're inviting their friends, and you're looking at them and you're like, oh my gosh, what is God going to do with this dude? What is God going to do with this lady? This is going to be insane. And then five years down the road, you're like, get off the spiritual couch. What happened? They got comfortable. They're an unstrung bow. That might be you. That might be you. I've become indifferent. You know, he said, they say all those things. He says, you're lukewarm. And he says, but you're looking at yourself. I'm rich. I've become wealthy. The second thing is he says, I don't need anything. Yeah, it's just whatever. I don't need anything. I'm, I'm good right where I'm at. And we just become so indifferent. And we, start, we stop pursuing anything in our lives. We stop pursuing the dreams that God give, has given us. You see, apathy is one of the biggest dream busters. You know, when you're a little kid, you, you, we dream wild dreams when we're kids, right? Like, what are some of the things you guys wanted to be? Anybody got some wild stuff you thought you were going to be when you were a kid? Who's got something? A Navy SEAL. A Navy SEAL? All right. How many guys have thought about that at some point in their childhood? I mean, I, I think it's dope, but who else? What else? A doctor, an astronaut. Okay, so when I was a kid, I'm old. How many of you guys have heard of the Challenger? Anybody ever heard of the Challenger? You know what happened with the Challenger, right? It blew up. And when I, but I, when I was a kid, man, Krista McCullough was like the hero. Like for weeks before Challenger was going to launch, we sat in our school and they sat there and they told us all about how this teacher was going to space and how she was going to be the first teacher in space. Like it was just super cool. And they're like, and you could do that someday too. And I remember being a little kid thinking, how awesome is that? And then when the challenger blew up, I was like, mm, maybe not that, you know, like it's like, and, and, but I think like all these wild dreams that you have when you're a kid. But somehow, as life goes on, you look and there are smaller dreams that you have that get squashed too, right? It's not only the big dreams in our lives that get squashed. And as those smaller dreams, as it's a struggle to see them fulfilled sometimes, we just become very indifferent. We're like, it is what it is. Anybody ever said that? Thinking about your life, your relationship with God, your relationship with your friends, it is what it is, right? And we kind of just put our hands to our side and slowly, we go from being these wild-eyed dreamers who have all these incredible plans for our lives and we believe in all these dreams when we follow God that seems so outlandish and so cool and so attainable when you first become in a relationship with God to where we're like, is what it is. And we drudge through our spiritual relationship with God. I don't really need anything. No, I'm good. I'm fine. Is what it is. And that's how we live. And God is looking and he's like, what happened to those wild 
eyed fanatics that, that committed to following their lives for me. You know what I'm talking about? That crate. You ever seen somebody get crazy in their eyes? So my mom teases me all the time because if you make me angry, my eyes change. Like if someone hurts or insults someone closer, close to me, my eyes just change. I get this look in my eye like you're going to die. Like, you know, like, and then I do the same thing whenever I used to do the same. I'm more calm now, but I used to do the same thing. Somebody be like, hey, we should try that. And people would be like, no, we're not doing that. That's crazy. Somebody's going to get hurt. And I'd be like, mm-hmm, all right. Ah! You know, I'm jumping off what we, I'm doing flips off the back of the house, like stupid stuff, right? And like that, that craziness, that's the opposite of apathy. And I think God's looking, he's like, where is that wild, insane fire and drive and passion in a relationship with me that used to be there and he's longing to see that fire reignited and he tells us things all throughout scripture like do the things you did at first you want to get that back go back to the beginning go back and figure out what it was but man we're just so apathetic and we're so comfortable and we're so indifferent you know another thing that you can look at and you can say man why am I so apathetic some of you think you have arrived You're apathetic because you think you're already where you need to be, and none of us are. And to be quite honest, some of you think you arrived, and I'm like, man, you barely got off the porch. You're not at your destination. You still got one foot on your property. You haven't arrived. But this church, you look at this church in Laodicea, and they think they're already there. They think they've already, have you, the Bible, you remember when, when the Bible says, have you already attained it? You guys remember when Paul says that? What's the answer to that question? No, you have not already attained it. No, you have not arrived. One of the contributing factors to apathy is your arrogance. That you think you're already there, so you don't have anywhere else to go, so you become so apathetic and comfortable and indifferent to where you are. Some of you are apathetic not because of you think you've arrived. Some of you are apathetic now because you're just worn out. And I get it. Trust me. After doing 26 years of college ministry, I get being worn out. Some of you have been doing it six days and you're already tired. You look, at, you look at what the apostles went through. You watch The Chosen, and you read the Gospels, and you, and you do all these things, and you see what they went through to, to get to the point that they got. Man, they were not people who were going to allow their, their tired life to keep them from being what God wanted them to do. They couldn't be apathetic, but these churches, that's what they became, and that's what we become. I'm just so tired. Man, I got a lot. I, I'm so sick of hearing about how much you college kids have going on. It makes me want to vomit, to be quite honest. I'm just so busy. Oh, you're busy, right? Well, wait till you have children who are dragging you all across the country. Wait till you're, you're planning a church and you're working full-time for a church, but because the church is still growing, you have to take on a full-time job. So you're working 60 hours a week at a university. You're working full-time for the church. You're helping to oversee the college ministry, and you're also having to help with adult ministry stuff now and then. And then on top of that, you got a wife that you got to make sure that you're trying to take care of and make happy. And then you got three kids that you're figuring out. One's little. Like, don't. I'm tired. You're apathetic because you're worn out, but the problem is you don't have any stamina. It's time to buck up. 
We become apathetic for so many reasons. Another one, I become apathetic because I've closed my heart due to being hurt. I get it. I get it. We get hurt. You're going to get hurt. The last class I was in, Chip was up here talking. Chip was talking about the fact, man, disciples of Jesus, guess what? You're going to get betrayed. You know how you know? Because Jesus did. And you know how else you know? Because he said you were going to be betrayed. He spelled it out. It's so funny to me how sometimes we're like, I don't know why this is happening to me. <laughs> because you chose for it to. I mean, you didn't want it, but when you choose to follow Jesus and you're going to be like him, you're going to get it. I sat there and I talked with a friend of mine last night and we were talking about hurt and feeling betrayal and feeling abandoned and what that does to you. I get it. I get it. But when you choose to allow that to allow you to become apathetic, you rob yourself. You rob the kingdom. There are several people in my life who I felt betrayed and abandoned by. Had I not allowed God to push me beyond my apathy, Marlon wouldn't be a youth leader right now. And he wouldn't be married to Nis, and we wouldn't be going to eternity together some way, someday. My brother James, who is no longer here with us, is already waiting for me. You cannot allow hurt to make you apathetic to your relationship with God because it will rob you of the blessings that God has in store for you. And it will rob your friends and it will rob your families and it robs the kingdom of God when you allow that to happen. Another thing, I be, I, another way we become apathetic, I be, become discouraged because of the apathy of others. How jacked up is that, right? We're like, everybody else is so apathetic. I, we just, we're like, screw it. I might, as well join the, I might as well join the losers. I might as well, you know, who, who does that? Who signs up for the team they know is going to suck? We do. We do. We look around and we're like, well, everybody else is apathetic, so I don't know why I should be working so hard. Because you don't want to be them. Because you don't want to be a part of that. You don't want it, your life to be destroyed. Because, and listen, there are tons of reasons that we could sit here and talk about today of why we become apathetic. But the, the end result is the same. Apathy leads to you making God want to vomit. Right? You're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. It's disgusting. Earlier I picked up a coffee that I thought was mine and I took a drink out of it and I was like, I just wanted to spit it out. I was like, that's disgusting, that's not mine. It's not hot and I liked iced coffee. That's definitely not iced coffee, it's lukewarm. I had an apathetic cup of joe and it was gross. And that's what so many of us have become in our relationship with God. So what do, we, what do we do then? We have to look at this and we have to ask ourselves some questions and we have to say to ourselves, it's time for me to address this apathetic nature that I've adopted into my life. It's time for me to address the slothful way that I approach God. It is time for me to deal with the acedia in my life. It is time for me to stop allowing my, apath my apathy to make me lazy in my relationship with God in the way that I pursue him. It's time for me to stop being apathetic in my relationships with my brothers and sisters in Christ to where I'm not engaging with them. 
I'm not connecting. If you're not engaging with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you're not connecting with them on an intimate level, you're apathetic. Do you realize that? Apathy invades every, it doesn't only invade your relationship with God, it invades every relationship that you have. It will invade your friendships and your campus ministry and team ministries. It will, it will invade your boyfriend and girlfriend relationships, your marriage relationships. It will invade your relationships with your children. It, it's, it's a disgusting disease that takes a, takes a hold of us. That's why it's one of the seven deadly sins because it leads to death for everybody that's touched by it. So how do I overcome, um, how do I overcome apathy? Well, first of all, I have to acknowledge Jesus' authority in my life. When you read that section of Revelation chapter 3, and it's uh, dealing with the church in Laodicea, it starts off and it says, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. You need to call yourself back to the point that you made a decision to die to yourself and be raised from the grave. The most, the least apathetic, the least apathetic thing that you have ever done in your entire life was come back from the dead. You realize that? That's the thing about Jesus in that tomb. There was no apathy as he sprung forth to life and that stone was moved away and he steps out and you can just see it. Just There's no apathy there. And there was no apathy in your relationship with God when you chose to follow him, when you were buried in Christ in baptism and raised to a new life. That is the most incredible thing that you could have ever done and what we need to do is we need to acknowledge Jesus's authority in my life and realize when it says these are the words of the amen the faithful and true witness the ruler of God's creation and the ruler of my life I need to acknowledge Jesus's authority in my life and realize that he has called me to something much different than apathy much different than sloth much different than a lazy crappy way that I've been pursuing him that's not what I was called to do and it's time for me to surrender back to the king of kings and say, all right, whatever you tell me to do, I'm on it. That's what I'm going to do. That's what we have been called to. The second thing is that you have to accept the reality of the situation and you have to address your arrogance. I have to accept the reality that I am apathetic, that I am lukewarm, that I am not cold and I'm not hot. I'm just kind of existing. I have watched people in my ministries over the years who, honestly, if you were just to look at them and watch them, you would think they wouldn't really do that much for the kingdom of God. And sometimes those people who you look at that are like that just do phenomenally incredible things that you're dumbfounded by. And then I've had people in my ministry who you look at that you're like, man, that person should just be tearing it up. They're talented. They're funny. They got a good personality there. You know, you just start listing off the things that you would expect someone who would be very effective to have. And you look at those people and I look at them like, why are they not doing more? Because they're apathetic. I watch people in our ministry sometimes who you look at them again, the world would look at them and be like, they're not going to amount to much. Yet they're having an incredible impact with God because there is no apathy there. They're fighting and scraping for the relationship with God and for other people. And these, and these other people who have these natural talents and abilities, they're so comfortable and they're so, they're so chill in those things that they haven't accepted the reality of their situation that they've become lukewarm because of it. And they're not doing anything and, and they're apathetic. And they do nothing for God. You know, one of the things I always look at and I'm like, there are certain people I look at and I'm like, why does that person not have, why does that person never have someone at cross chat? Why does that person never have someone at church ever? 
I know that that person is more than capable of doing these things. And there's one or two answers, generally speaking, for that. So if you're not having people come with you and you're not having success at reaching people, I would suggest to you it's one of these two things. First one is this, and I hope it's not this one. You're full of crap. You're just full of crap, and you should probably be in the hypocrisy lesson right now. Because if you're not having people come with you, one of the major reasons is you're just full of it. You might invite people, might not. But even if you did, when they look at your life, they look at the way that you're talking in class, the way that you interact with people, the way you treat your professors, the way you don't come to class half the time because you're too busy sleeping, you're not doing the things you need to do, and they're watching you and they see hypocrisy, and they're never going to come to church with someone who they look, and they're like, that, for, that person's just, it's just BS, it's not real. They don't, really, they don't really believe what they say they believe. That's the first reason. You know what the second reason would be? Apathy. You just don't care. You're not motivated. You're not motivated spiritually to look at the world for what it is as a bunch of lost people and you're so comfortable and you're, and you're so settled in and you become someone who is so indifferent or you're so arrogant that you think you arrived that you forgot other people haven't, whatever it is, you're apathetic to the mission that God gave you. It's one of those two things. And I think we've got to acknowledge we got to look and acknowledge Jesus' authority in our lives, and then we have to say, okay, what's the reality of my situation? Why am I not being effective in my personal relationship with God? Why am I not being effective in my relationships with other disciples? And why am I not making disciples? And I think our dream has been stolen by apathy. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need anything. And then look what he says, but you do not realize, he's telling them, you haven't accepted the reality of your situation. You don't realize it, but you're wretched. Man, talk about God smacking you in the face, right? You are wretched. You know, it's like one of your brothers today or sisters in Christ come and be like, you're just ratchet. Like, what? Like, you're just, you know, just putting it out there. This, this is what you are. You're wretched. Man, pitiful. How? That's like one of the worst things in my mind that somebody can call you because it's just like, it makes you feel like a dog. Like I think of like, like this just, just beat up dog. It's just, you look at it and you're like, man, nobody takes care of it. It's skinny. It's been living on the streets. Like I get that picture of that like emaciated puppy sitting there when I think of pitiful. Can't do anything for itself. It's not going to make it. God's like, you're wretched. You're pitiful. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. All these things, and you're like, man, that's rough. And that's why I always think it's funny whenever people are like, oh, you're not being loving because you're saying, you're saying things that seem mean. <laughs> Read your Bible sometime. God does not play, especially when it comes to lukewarm, apathetic people. And some of us need to accept the reality of our situation. And we need to deal with our arrogance and the fact that we don't see ourselves for what we are. And we need to make some serious adjustments. The next thing we have to do after we've acknowledged that Jesus has the authority, we accept the reality of our situation, we address our arrogance, we have to adopt God's attitude towards our reality. We have to see ourselves as wretched, pitiful, all those things, but we have to adopt his attitude when he says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. We have to be sick enough about the way that we are that it, that it drives us to change, that it drives us for some change in our lives. For some of you, that changes. You are going to decide not to be apathetic. You are going to become 
passionate again for your relationship with God, you're going to be on fire and you're going to make great things happen. For some of you guys, you just need to make the decision to peace out already. I would hope that's not the decision that you make, but you know what? Sometimes that's the decision people have to make. And hopefully God brings that back around by knocking you on your butt until you realize how bad it is without him. But you're just in the way of God's mission. And you're, in, and, you're, and you're dragging everybody else down around you with your apathy and your lukewarmness. And we need to make sure that we are people who adopt God's attitude and says, listen, I'm not going to do this. You know, last night I was talking again to the same friend. Can I talk about this? Are you good with that? I was talking to, I was talking to my friend over here, Fufu. And you, so a lot of you don't know Elise. Her name's Elise. I, but that's not what we call her. <laughs> but uh, I remember having a conversation with her dad before he came back to God, before he passed. And I remember having a conversation with him one time, and I'm like, love it. Just come back to God. I don't understand what the deal is. And he goes, no, I'm not doing that. I know God. He does not play around. He does not mess around, and he does not want me there the way that I'm going to be if I come there right now. And even though that sucked, I respected that. I respected it because I'm like, he gets it. God doesn't want some lukewarm dude sitting here because his friend wants him here. That's not what he wants. Thank God that he changed his perspective on that before he was gone. And that he's waiting for me. But in that moment, I had to respect that. And when he came, when he came back, he was going to be on fire for God. And I respected that. But we have to adopt God's attitude if we're going to bring about change, that it's disgusting to be apathetic, lukewarm people. The next thing I have to do is I have to act upon God's instruction. There are three very clear and specific things that he says. He tells them to, and he tells them, buy of me. And, and what he's really saying is, invest in me. You want to get over your apathy, start reinvesting in your relationship with God. You know, when you invest in something, you tend to want to follow what you're investing in. It engages you. When you, when you put money into a stock, you, you want to follow that stock. You want to see where it's, where it's going and what's going on because you're invested in it. And God says here, you need to buy of me. If you're apathetic, it's time to start putting your, your money where your mouth is. If you don't want to be apathetic anymore and start saying, okay, I'm going to invest in my relationship with God. I'm going to spend time in his word. I'm going to spend time with his people. I'm going to, I'm going to be willing to sacrifice whatever I have to make sure that it's invested in the things that matter. And that's a relationship with God. And it's time to reinvest. It's time for you to get back to that, that attitude that you had at the beginning. The second thing is that he says, he says that we're to clothe ourselves. He says, I want to give you white clothes to wear again. And that's giving you this picture of clothing ourselves in Christ, which is what the Bible says happens when? When you're baptized into him, you are clothed in Christ, right? He, again, is calling us back to the beginning. Clothe yourself in righteousness. He says, I'm going to give you white clothes to wear. Get back to right living, righteous living. You know, one of the things, too, is we just get drugged down into apathy by sin because we refuse to live holy and righteous lives, and Satan just uses that just to drag you down into the pit of despair and apathy. And he's like, he will hold you there. And he says, listen, you need to reinvest, buy of me. You need to reinvest in white clothes and make yourselves holy and righteous again and allow yourself to be pulled out of this. And he says, open your eyes. He says, I want to put salve on your eyes. 
Open your eyes to what God wants you to see and wants you to dream about again. Apathy has a way of covering your eyes and damaging the eyes that God has given you for the vision of your life and the dreams that he has for your future. And he's like, listen, invest in me. Clothe yourselves in righteousness. Do what's right and open your eyes and see what I have in store for you because it is incredible. The, lot, the vision that God has for your life is better than anything that you could ever you could ever imagine for yourself the family that he wants you to have the impact that he wants that that family to have the the relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ the relationships with the lost he wants us to have an impact everywhere we go and you get to choose that you get to choose whether or not you're going to be engaged and be a bow that is ready to be strung and ready to be used or you're just going to sit there on the table completely useless in your apathy and your lukewarmness and your sloth and you're just going to kind of exist if all you're doing is existing what a wasted life what a wasted life just passing the time until you die sucks and then the final thing is this you have to allow for forgiveness from your past through repentance you have to repent so that God is able to forgive you and you're able to forgive yourself for the time that has passed while you've been sitting there in your own apathy he says repent be heart be earnest and change your hearts and your lives verses 19 and 20 he says those whom I love I rebuke and I and I discipline be earnest and repent and then this next passage is really cool because he says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and he with me. What is that verse usually used for? This is just a side nugget. Anybody know what that, that verse is usually used for? Anybody? How many of you have heard that verse before you became a Christian somewhere? What was the point? What were they trying to get you to do? Huh? Seek? It's the sinner's prayer. That's what almost always leads into the sinner's prayer. You know what the problem with the sinner's prayer is? And using this passage for the sinner's prayer? It's totally out of context. Who is he talking to here? The church. Are these people lost? Are these people without a relationship with God? Do they need to invite Jesus into their heart to be saved? No, these are Christians. These are saved people. But he's not eating with them. Why? Because they're apathetic and they're, they're lukewarm in their relationship with God. Anytime you hear this trying to be used to talk about the sinner's prayer, the sinner's prayer is not in the Bible anywhere, first of all. Second of all, this is not the passage to point to that because these people are already Christians. But he's still looking at me. He's like, you want me to eat with you? Repent. I'm just chilling here waiting for you to repent. I'm tired of you being apathetic. Be earnest and repent. Allow me to forgive you so that you can, that you can eat with me. So that we can have right fellowship again. You see, someone who is lukewarm or apathetic in their relationship with God, Jesus is not sitting at your table having dinner with you. Do you realize that? That's what that's saying. That's crazy, isn't it? He's like, repent and be earnest so that I can sit at your table. Man, think about the times that Jesus got to sit around eating with the apostles. Can you imagine having dinner with Jesus, what that would be like? 
Imagine how many times he sat with there with them and he was telling them he was dreaming for their futures. Over and over again, you see him dreaming for the future of the apostles. You see him pushing them for the kind of life that they could have. He tells them, you're going to do incredible things. As a matter of fact, he even told them, you're going to do greater things than I did. How do you dream bigger than being doing greater things than Jesus? Is there a bigger dream? He is the savior of the entire world. And he's like, you're going to do better things than that. <laughs> They've got to be sitting there going, this dude's nuts. There's no way. But he was constantly dreaming for them. Another side note for you leaders. People fall into apathy when no one is dreaming for them. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Right? Leaders, if your people are apathetic, we probably need to ask ourselves what we're calling them to. The apostles didn't have time to become apathetic in the three years they spent with Jesus because he wouldn't allow it. And sometimes in our ministries and our churches, we get what we ask for. But Jesus dreamed for the apostles, always called them higher, always called them to more, always called them to better. And you've been called to that same call that they were. But what are you going to do with it? Do you want to be used by God? Or do you want to sit on your spiritual couch the rest of your life until you can't get up anymore? Do you want to be a bow that is sitting there unstrung? and is wasting away, or do you want to be a bow that's ready to be fired to change the lives of every person that you come into contact with? It's time for us to do away with our spiritual apathy. It's time to become passionate men and women of God who make a difference in the kingdom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again, God, for the weekend. God, thank you for your word and how it kicks us right in a rump when we need it. God, that it pushes us to be different, to be better, to be more, to be awake, awakened from our lazy slumber, God, our slothful, apathetic slumber that keeps us from being who you called us to be, that destroys our dreams. God, help us to be able to remember what it was like when we invested in you and we clothed ourselves in you, God, and help us to, to address your attitude for our spiritual growth, God, and help us to adopt your dreams once again and to see what you do through uh, our lives, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.